The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson. Coming at you from the Washington, D.C. area, where after a few days of glorious but fake fall weather, we are back in the humid 90s. This happens every year. We get a little taste of fall, and then summer comes rearing back at us. So that heavy sigh you hear in my voice is me longing for sweaters and boots and all the things that go with autumn. Today, I'm pleased to welcome to the show a good friend of the podcast and stellar member of the EcoRight, Larry Linenschmidt, who runs the Hill Country Institute, a resource for Christians considering the intersection of faith and culture as they seek to live missionally in the world today. Joining us in the conversation is our own Bob Inglis, and together we talk about the role that faith plays in protecting the earth, as well as how far back the science of climate change actually goes, and I think you'll be surprised. So without further ado, my conversation with Larry Linenschmidt. Welcome back, listeners. I have a big smile on my face. I'm so happy to be joining conversation today with our dear friend, Larry Linenschmidt, and joining us also special guest, Bob Inglis. Welcome, gentlemen. Great to be with you, Chelsea. Thanks. Yes, thank you, Chelsea. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you. Appreciate all you do. Thank you. I couldn't resist but um, inviting Bob to be part of this conversation because Bob is the reason why we know Larry. And I believe, take me back, Larry, but was it a CCL, a Citizens Climate Lobby event um, where you two met? Well, uh, somehow I got word that Bob was going to be in, in Houston and he was speaking at a Young Republicans event. And I'm uh, by no means a Young Republican anymore, but somehow they, they let me in and appreciated the way Bob related to the people and his command of the facts and, and his uh, savvy and, and talking about these issues. And, and I just felt like I'm finding my people. You know, it takes time, but over time you find your people. <laughs> and I might point out that was quite a commitment that you made, Larry, to checking that out because uh, it was quite a drive from your home to Houston to that event. What was it? A couple of oh, three about- hours or- yeah, three hours. You know, yeah. in in Texas, that's not a long drive. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, true. you know, now that my son is in Texas, I'm realizing that three hours in Texas is not a long time in the car. Whereas in the Eastern Seaboard, three hours you could pass it through five states. Oh, sure. <laughs> um, but didn't bring you here to quiz you on your energy knowledge. I thought that it would be really fun to have you on and and first to just have you describe to our listeners what you're doing over there at the Hill Country Institute. Sure. So thank you. Yeah, the Hill Country Institute is a a nonprofit Christian faith-based entity, and we work on faith and culture issues. We really began uh, working on C.S. Lewis conferences, and C.S. Lewis and his friend Tolkien have a a great deal to say about the environment in their their writings. Uh, All of the evil in, in both of their works is generally associated with tearing up trees. 
you know, the orcs did it and Tolkien's work. And, and uh, at the end of the, of the Narnia Chronicles, the last battle, there are trees that are being torn up. And then his uh, space trilogy, the science fiction trilogy, there's trees being torn out of old Brockton wood. Um, so there's, there's a, a real sense and of course, they were they were two English guys that loved walking in the woods, and that was uh, a lot of a lot of their fun. So Lewis really helps us to see all of life as 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 a Christian, and so that's what we tried to do through conferences, through online resources, through our radio program and podcast, is to help Christians think about culture, think about the issues that we face today, and the environment, climate change. Uh, that's become a, a real big issue for us. And we've interviewed a lot of people, at least Jessica Mormon is one with the Evangelical Environmental Network that, we, that we've interviewed in common. Uh, but we've also interviewed a lot of other folks about this issue, like Hugh Ross, who leads Reasons to Believe and recently wrote a book called Weathering Climate Change, A New Perspective, and, uh, and lots of other folks. So I would say that uh, taking care of the environment, racial relations, uh, getting along in a pluralistic society. Those are all uh, big issues for us today. Well, um, you brought up Jessica, dear friend of ours as well, who is on maternity leave right now. And listeners will link Jess- Jessica's episode in the show notes. So if you missed it and you want to go back, she's with the Evangelical Environmental Network. And we definitely work alongside those guys from time to time. Um, at what point, Larry, was did your faith and culture mission embrace this idea of climate change in this intersection between faith and caring for the climate? Yeah, that's a that's a good story. Let me just mention I'm I'm a partner with the Evangelical Environmental Network, and Mitch Hescock and Paul Douglas wrote a, a really good book that uh, that Bob endorsed. Uh, called Caring for Creation. And, and for anyone who's looking for a resource, I would really recommend that book. It's the first thing I give to people when they're thinking about it. But uh, the Hill Country Institute works with folks who often are conservative politically, uh, not, nec- not exclusively. I mean, not all Christians are conservative and not all conservatives are Christians. So, you know, you, you've got to kind of recognize some of the, the ways that, that things work. And I work closely with a lot of folks in, in some of the other issues and environment that are that are not politically conservative and 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 really welcome that but uh the environment has always been of interest to me i would say about four and a half years ago i was an agnostic personally about climate change uh i had friends on both sides of the issues and you know i was trying to stay with my friends and uh but it but it got to a point where i really felt like i had to do my own homework and there's a, a christian group called the american scientific affiliation and they're made up of scientists and uh, physicists, uh, various kinds of scientists, but theologians and philosophers, all with an interest in faith and science. And they do an annual conference. And about four years ago, I went to their conference in Colorado uh, at the Colorado School of Mines. And Catherine Hayhoe, among other people, were there. And and I, I got to talk to a lot of scientists. And I, I found that probably 99% of the scientists who were there accepted the science of global warming and climate change and the the reasons compelling so um i i kind of fell in with that group and i feel like it's a good group and in fact that's that's very important as i talk to people about this issue is for them to recognize that within the christian community there have been a lot of lot of Christians over time, from Billy Graham and John Stott, who are, you know, Protestant leaders. Uh, both have passed on now, but they both recognize the issue. 
uh, Pope Francis and his uh, encyclical and, and many others. But the, the science faculty at places like Wheaton College and Baylor University in Texas, uh, Calvin, Messiah, uh, you just go on and on. It's a long list. And that's part of the story. And we'll probably talk about this more. But how do you talk to people? And I think who you're associated with is very important. And uh, I always mention Bob Inglis in that group, too. Well, I mean, I think that is not unlike your story, Bob, right? Once you started talking to scientists, you guys kind of got into that scientist gang, right? They're they're pretty persuasive people. Yeah, and, and uh, your listeners won't be able to see it, but Larry is in front of a background that uh, makes me think of Carl Sagan, because there he is with his uh, with his uh, stellar background. He's got, uh, what is it, Larry, the view of the universe or something. Anyway, um, but interesting that Carl Sagan, you know, is an example of somebody that maybe didn't understand what he was saying and how off-putting he was being to people of faith, right? The late Carl Sagan used to start his show with the cosmos. It's all there is, all there ever was, all there ever will be. And what uh, I think, Larry, folks that uh, you come in contact with at the Institute would be people who would understand, no, no, that's a worldview that Carl Sagan was espousing. It was quite a, a lot of philosophy behind that. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a immediately offensive really to people of faith, which may be one reason that we've struggled in some quarters with Christians being hesitant about the science of climate change, because they, they feel disregarded by people like the late Carl Sagan. I don't know if he meant to do it, but it was an impact of what he said. You know, if the cosmos is all there is, all there ever will be, it doesn't leave much room for faith, does it? It's a challenge. And world worldview from a from anybody's standpoint is is the is the totality of how you look at things. Uh, the 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 ultimate reality is is your worldview. And for a Christian, again, their worldview study with scripture. You know, you, you go into the Bible and and then own expertise. And in, as Bob and I are talking about, we talk to scientists, for instance, and, and that can include economists, particularly natural resource economists. And then you develop policy, and only then do you do politics. And politics is this is the way of getting your policy implemented. And so one of the things that I find is that most people on this issue start with politics. And so you have to overcome that, that, that starting point. But, uh, but starting with the Bible, you know, there, there's good news there. Uh, in, in Genesis, first thing, when we're created, God made man in his image. And that's, and that's good news for everybody, because if Christians can just remember that that person you disagree with is made in God's image, that makes them somebody to respect. So we always have to think about that, that there is that image of God in a person. But right after he creates us, he says, I, I give you dominion over this creation I made. And dominion is a is a word that means fully taking care of, being responsible for. It doesn't mean just taking what I can get out of it. And that's that's a key thing about what should be a Christian approach. Dominion means taking care of it in a way that not only will we do well and be able to flourish, but the other creatures will be able to flourish because we're 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 interdependent. You know, uh, when you when you lose the productivity of the ocean, a lot of people are going to lose the product uh, their their protein source. But we also need to think about future generations, and that's what's so important about the climate change issue: the changes that are happening and what they're going to do for 
you know, the generations to come. And that's, that's uh, thinking about the poor, thinking about future generations. Those are very much a part of the, the practical outworkings of what we need to be doing to take care of, of uh, the creation that God gave us. So Larry, when you encounter somebody who is feeling a little eco-hesitant to uh, steal a word from another uh, writer of faith, Lindsay Linsky, who was a guest on this podcast early in season one, and who talked about dominion and how some people use it to excuse their pollution, right? I can sort of do whatever I want. And she has made the case that that is actually not (laughs) what one should be doing or how one should be thinking about it. But when you encounter someone how are you, I mean, are you putting out feelers, right? And you're trying to figure out, is it the economics? Is it the science? How am I going to approach the subject with this person? Well, I'll, I'll probably bring up Catherine Hayhoe's name about every five minutes. Uh, every <laughs> how long we talk, you can, you can just put that in. But, but Catherine, uh, you know, is a, is a world-class scientist. She's been part of the different reports at the national level and the international level. She teaches at Texas Tech. She's now uh, chief scientist for the Nature Conservancy. So she, she's had a lot of different hats. And uh, she says, really, the, the thing to do is to begin to find commonality. Okay, health. Health is a really good issue to talk about. Emissions our problem in Texas, our, all of our five largest metropolitan areas have uh, air quality issues. So what do we, what can we do about that? Uh, 43% of the people in the, in the United States, according to one American Lung Association uh, study, have poor air quality. And if you go around the world, I think the numbers go up even more. So health is a, is a good place to start. Clean air. Uh, clean water, you know, water, water, uh, everybody's downstream from somebody. If I have a plant and I'm, and I'm polluting the stream and you're downstream from me, well, is that fair? You know, shouldn't I clean up my pollution or pay for that in some fashion? So we all need to think about what we're doing to others. And so, you know, that downstream effect can be important. Then uh, I think that thinking about the health of the unborn, particularly because a lot of the mercury pollution and other issues related to uh, coal, pro- coal produced electricity, uh, particularly are uh, tough on the unborn. So the big complex of health issues. And then there's, there's a uh, food supply, you know, chain that, that is, that is uh, having issues today because of drought in the West and, uh, fish are moving further north because the waters are warming. So I think that talking about food for somebody like me that likes food a lot, you know, mm-hmm. we, uh, we, we, we've, we've got a natural uh, path there for conversation and then to caring, caring about the future, you know, caring about the kids and the grandkids and how, um, how we think about them. Those are, those are good, uh, good entrees. And then uh, I like to bring up the U S military because when we're dealing with conservatives, uh, the U.S. military has defined uh, climate change uh, as a uh, threat multiplier, and that's a that's a that's really an interesting term because it, it covers so many different things. You know, we're we're we've got 23 bases in the U.S. that are identified as at, at risk for climate change, and it ranges from desertification at Fort Bliss here in Texas to sea level rise issues in Corpus Christi, Texas, and Norfolk, Virginia. San Diego, for instance. In San Diego, one thing they've done to um, 
adapt is to increase the height by 12 inches of a new pier that they're building that uh, probably is built by now, but it has a 75 year life. So they projected that they needed to, to take it up another foot to take care of the sea level rise issues for that. So I think the US military uh, relates well uh, to uh, conservatives. Did you find that when you were uh, in Congress, Bob? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that the military voice is crucial to be heard, right? Uh, because um, uh, we're concerned about uh, health, as you said. We're also uh, food supply and uh, national security. And so uh, those really do play in. You know, it's interesting, Larry, you and Chelsea have mentioned the word dominion, which sometimes uh, is a scary word in this conversation because the thought is that there's some who have a uh, dominion theology that says that basically we can use up the earth. Um, but I, 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 like you, am willing to hear the word dominion because it's in that Genesis passage. What I would ask is, what, what does Jesus uh, look like in his dominion? You know, here it is, God himself. And what's he doing the night before betrayal and crucifixion? Washing the disciples' feet. And so he says, uh, you know, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you've got to be the servant of all. So if that's what dominion looks like for Jesus, shouldn't Christians be the same way about creation care, particularly caring for our neighbors, as you just indicated? You know, you can't do in your streams, you can't pollute somebody's downstream. You know, you got to make sure that you are accountable. So um, just interesting that you you accept the word dominion and then maybe see what dominion looks like from Jesus, and that tells you to actually love your neighbor, right? Yeah, yeah, love your neighbor, care care for the other creatures of the earth, uh, don't exploit the earth. You know, God said this is this is good when He finished His creation, and if it's good, then it deserves to be treated so, and that means. Yes, we yes we can grow crops, but maybe we need to rotate those crops. And we need to, to when we're extracting energy, well, we need to do it in a manner that's clean. And we need to think about all the ways that we can keep the planet functioning. And and there's also a very pragmatic side to to, to dominion. If we don't take care of the planet, how is it going to take care of us? You know, fish stocks, uh, agriculture production, all those things, and then and medical advances are often based on some new way of looking at at a, at a critter that's out there that has a way of processing that, that's built into its own DNA. And so if we have extinctions, uh, that's going to be a problem. And, and a huge portion of the world counts on the ocean for its uh, uh, protein. So not only are we heating the ocean, but the, the emissions are increasing, uh, you know, acidity in the ocean. And that's, that's causing a, a, a lot of problem for mollusks. In, in mollusk farmers, you know, if you're if you're in that business up in the northwest, and then the heat this year killed, you know, thousands and thousands of mollusks. So we yeah. we got an ongoing problem there. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. Well, and you know, one thing that we often hear from folks who are disputing climate change, and we've heard it even with the um, disputation around the COVID vaccine as well, is that the scientists are kind of all in it together, right, to game the system. And as someone noted, when the most recent IPCC report came out that was penned by, 
I'm going to maybe have this wrong, 263 or 264 scientists. And someone was talking about what a feat that is, right? To have 264 scientists all agree, every period, every end, every but, every finding, because their nature is generally to try to disprove their peers so they yes. can get the accolades. I have disproven you, and here is why, that they are not all like, I pat your back, you pat mine, that there is a, comp a competitiveness competitiveness to their work that has somehow been lost when it's translated yeah. to public to the public which is interesting yeah. i just there's think. some groups that are just <laughs> yeah i think there's some groups that are for, for being disagreeable lawyers are probably one of those groups aren't they bob uh, <laughs> hey now don't talk about uh, don't hit on my former profession i'm a recovering <laughs> lawyer larry that's different than being an active lawyer that's a that's a great term. I have a close friend who calls himself a recovering lawyer. He's now an executive coach. So there's there's hope after lawyerhood. <laughs> but lawyers, economists, scientists, you know, they, they don't agree. And uh, I really uh, like a paper that uh, well, it's not a paper. It was a, it was an editorial. But Catherine Hayhoe led a group of Texas scientists and they and they were from UT Austin, Texas Tech, Stephen F. Austin, Prairie View A&M. And they all agreed. This paper's titled Texas Scientists Say Power Outages Show Why Texas Must Prepare for Climate Change. And I and I, I haven't exhaustively looked at this, but I, I think just about every university in the state is represented here. So there there is a lot of agreement. And the, the standard number that people talk about is 97% of scientists agree. And I and I think that that number is is increasing. Yeah. because the data is there. Like I mentioned Hugh Ross, who leads a, a Christian ministry called Reasons to Believe, and he's an astrophysicist, and his book, Weather and Climate Change, really lays out the science incredibly well. And he, people, often people who are conservative uh, pay attention to Hugh. Most, most of my friends that, that work with that ministry are, are conservative politi politically. But, uh, you know, he's, a, he's an astrophysicist. He took a couple of years to write this book, and it's got great, great science in it that's that supports this issue i mean as a storyteller myself i have to say yes stories no matter what issue we're talking about and and stories with climate change and that's why bob yeah. leads when he's out speaking he always leads with his the story of his evolution on climate change and you know when we can make something personal then i think we can create a connection and maybe that's what's been hard with climate change is that there hasn't been a lot of personal stories because people don't always feel impacted, right? Unless you lived on the coast or you've encountered a wildfire out west or, you know, you've had a hurricane blow through your yard. Maybe you didn't really feel like climate change had touched you. So you didn't have that personal story to share. Bob, I have a German story, too. My, my grandfather learned English from my oldest uncle, my dad's brother. And there was a lot of anti-German, you know, prejudice for them that they dealt with. And uh, we have a family story about one time my grandfather having a jug and kind of waving it at somebody and telling him to quit calling him, a, you know, whatever he was calling him, or he'd hit him with the jug. So, you know, there's things like that that, that happen. Yeah. But uh, yeah. in, in uh, regarding agriculture, Chelsea, uh, I interviewed a professor from Texas A&M and the, the A is for agriculture. You know, if you go back, Agricultural Mechanical College, and they, they've got an extraordinary agriculture department. But uh, Winter Storm Uri, uh, 
you know, and I know you, you interviewed Joshua Rhodes and he talked about the storm. We can talk about that some if you want. But uh, uh, Professor David Anderson told me that at, at that time, and this was not that long after the storm, they were aware of like $600 million in damage in only solely the agriculture section uh, from that storm. So there's a story right there for every farmer. And, and there are tons of farmers that talk about having changed their crops, uh, you know, lost seasons because of the rain, the, the rains in the Midwest that, you know, take out farmland, and then they come down the river. And if, if New Orleans catches flood water coming down and, and a storm coming at the same time, they've got a real problem. So these things are so interconnected. But uh, the ag story is, is, is very real. You know, the drought in the West we had heavy drought in Texas this year. We were only the western part of the state still in drought. But to to acclimate, to change, to change what's grown. I know we were up in Michigan recently. They're growing millet there now, and they didn't used to do that. It's warmed up enough that they've had a change in crops. Yeah, all the Maine lobster are moving to Canada. I'm from Maine, so I feel yeah. very they're starting to say hey. about that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I think we're onto something with this extracting of stories. It's, it's good for us to, to lead, and I think we can keep having these conversations, but I am really now curious about extracting people's stories and listeners. If you have a story, you have a climate story you want to share, hit me up. We'll talk. Maybe we can even put a little series together um, where everyday people talk about their story. I think the more that we feel like we are in this together, you know, Americans always rise to the occasion when there is a shared enemy, right? So we just passed the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and that was like a shared day of, of trauma and anguish. And so we were able to come together in, you know, from the ashes of that to um, create, you know, some new bureaucracy. So it's a little harder to get through the airport now, but, and, and other things that came out of that day, but you know, I like this idea that by sharing our stories, we can come together instead of remaining in our corners on climate change. And I really am glad that we have you at the Hill Country Institute to help spread the word and talk to folks and get those stories out. And whatever that point of connection is going to be between you and someone who might not feel the same way the three of us do, then find it and maybe then that person will take their story and be able to convince someone else and eventually we'll get there. Yeah. I just want to say here, here, um, Larry, as to your great work at the Hill Country Institute, because it really is important to engage, especially believers in this kind of conversation. And so, um, uh, you know, Texas is very important to uh, solving this challenge. Um, Houston is the energy capital of the world. I like to call it the energy innovation capital of the world. And I think there are a lot of people in Houston who accept that a little addition to the name. And uh, so uh, it's really important what you're doing in Texas. Uh, we need uh, for- uh, We need to clone Larry. Yes, we do. We need, we need <laughs> well, lots of Larry's. <laughs> hey, science isn't dangerous, Larry, remember. Yeah. <laughs> well, th thank you, Bob. Yeah. I, uh, I think that Texas is, is open and, and listening more than it did in the past. I think a number of things have done that. And part of this is story too, Chelsea and Bob. I, I think uh, the story of Hurricane Harvey, you know, uh, there's a, there's a science side to that. The, there's a science, the science of attribution 
Now, how much of, of, of an event is attributed to climate change? Well, apparently 10% or so of Hurricane Harvey's strength, but the fact that it, you know, if you, if you look at its pattern, it came inland, it went back out, and then it set on the coast, and it just kept going in circles. And, and it, was, it, was, it was like you had buckets picking up water, dumping them, and picking up some more and dumping them. And we, you know, Texas likes to be number one, and, and we're number one in, in recorded rainfall in one storm in Nederland, Texas. We had 60 inches of rain. Uh, so the wind, the wind patterns have changed. That's a, there's a lot of stories there about the damage that Harvey did. And then attribution science, when you think about the winter storm, you know, we had, uh, we kind of thought that there, there would be something, but a paper just came out in the past couple of weeks in Science Magazine that, that attributes climate change to the depth and the severity of that storm. Uh, and it's, you know, the polar vortex basically is this circle of wind and it, and it keeps the cold air in and it gets stretched. And when it gets stretched, that cold air comes down to of all places Texas, you know, and it, it wasn't just Texas. It was Louisiana and New Mexico. It was it was just all over down here. So anyway, I think that attribution science helps to, to tie that story uh, together. And Bob, thanks for the comments about Hill Country Institute. I, I want to say if, if uh, Hill Country Institute can be of, of help and uh, speakers, Sunday school class preparation, uh, thinking about what a church might do, uh, regarding uh, bringing this issue to their people, uh, please contact us, hillcountryinstitute.org. And you have a podcast too. I would just want listeners to note so you could want to hear more from Larry and his guests head on over to the Hill Country Institute website and you will link the podcast there and we'll put it there. in our show notes. And Larry, I think that we're going to have to do this again because you were just such a pleasure to have on the show. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. It, I, I really appreciate y'all having me. It's great. And uh, I, I think we can, we can, you know, continue to pray for Bob as he leaves his lawyerhood behind and, and makes this big transition. And, uh, and I do pray for y'all's work because it, it's so important. And I, I really appreciate both of you and the whole team. Ooh, Price. That was a fun conversation between me and Larry and Bob. I felt like I didn't really need to be there. I could have just sat and watched the two of them talk it out. Um, they're definitely, uh, we need to get them on the road and doing some events together. Yeah, Larry's a great uh, member of our, you know, team, guy that supports us, you know, so much. I think Larry's a great orator. I can see how and why he hosts a radio show and podcast through the Hill Country Institute because you know, he just he articulates and he's a, so well himself and he orate. He's just a great orator. I, I like listening to him talk. Well, I'm always feeling the pressure when I have somebody on the show who has their own show. And I definitely <laughs> felt that a little bit. So listeners, if you want more, you can check out his podcast on the Hill um, Hill Country Institute uh, website. And I'm sure if you put that in your search engine on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we'll also pop right up for you. Never be intimidated because as long as you've been doing this show now, you are the the in-house pro here, Chelsea Henderson. So, and, <laughs> well, <thanks>. and speaking <laughs> of doing this show for a while, we have been doing it for a while. And if you haven't subscribed, please go ahead and do that now. Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, the two main places you can get us, uh, especially if you're an Android user, Spotify. Uh, just download the app on your smartphone, uh, Spotify podcast, and search Eco Right Speaks easily. Also on the Apple Podcast app, 
hit subscribe. And on Apple Podcasts, you can do the Ask Bob Anything question. So that's my incentive for directing people over to Apple Podcasts is that you can rate uh, the show five stars, of course. And then you can write your review. And in lieu of a review, you could drop a question in that field for Bob, for me, for Price, anyone on our team. Um, a little, you know, ask Bob anything. Consider it ask the eco write anything. So throw a question out there. Price, what question did Bob get today? Yes, this week's Ask Bob Anything comes from Robin P2K1. She ask, I've heard some U.S. senators are speaking out against the EU carbon border just adjustment mechanism. What can we do to convince senators to instead be for a price on carbon, which protects U.S. businesses from the carbon border adjustment mechanism and will create U.S. jobs? Bob, the question and floor is yours. Wow, Robin, you've got the right question and you're on to the mechanism by which we would make carbon pricing worldwide. Uh, You're asking about the carbon border adjustment and uh, why it is that some senators have been speaking out against it. I think the short answer is, well, uh, because the EU has been talking about it and we don't like to be in the position of responding to other countries' leadership. We like to be leading. To which I say, well, then let's lead. Let's be the ones that help design this mechanism by which there'd be a border adjustment. So if you're taking goods into a country that has a carbon tax and you don't have a carbon tax in your home country, you got to pay that country's tax on the way into their market because otherwise you're disadvantaging the companies, the firms, the manufacturers in that in that country you're going into. So it's crucial. Um, And this is the way that you get the whole world in on it. Because if we lead, rather than wait to follow somebody, um, we could make it so access to the American market becomes the means by which the whole world follows us into carbon pricing. And by the way, without any international agreement, just because it becomes in their interest to follow our lead. Otherwise, they're paying our tax on entry of their goods into our country, which they could have collected a tax in their own country and their goods would have come through our ports with no adjustment. So uh, they follow our lead. Um, So uh, you're really onto something there. It's a key part of how it is that we solve climate change and make this a worldwide solution. All right, that's our executive director, Bob Inglis, answering uh, Robin's question from Ask Bob Anything this week. Again, you can put your question right in there at our Apple podcast. Go to the review at the bottom. Give us four or five stars, preferably five. We'll take what you want to give us, but then put your question in the review section right there, and we will pick one to answer every single week, Chelsea. That's right, and I just love knowing what is on people's minds, and you know, just giving you a little inside baseball, I scanned the questions that we have to spark ideas for future guests. So it's not just about getting a response from Bob. You might get a whole episode out of your question. So another 
plug, please sign up and join us at republican.org because I'm plugging Chelsea's Week in Review. That is something that you will get delivered to your inbox on Friday, a comprehensive week in recap of the news around climate change and things happening in our orbit, Chelsea. That's right. You want to read it. I'm just telling you, you want to read it. You know you do. Sign up, republican.org forward slash join. All right, that will do it. Appreciate Larry Lennon-Schmidt for joining you, Chelsea, and certainly Bob, on this week's podcast. We will do it again next week. Until then, have a great week, wherever it is, whatever time it is, where you are. But more than anything, we appreciate you downloading, listening, and subscribing to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. Chelsea, we'll see you next week. See you next week, Price. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast, brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco right leader.